This episode of How to Save the World is sponsored by Atik, a New Zealand zero-waste beauty company on a mission to rid the world of plastic waste. Check them out at atik.co.nz. That's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. Hello and welcome to How to Save the World. We've got another good news episode because it went so well the first time. It gave us warm fuzzies inside and we love doing it. So we thought we'd do another one of these. G'day, Wave. G'day, Tim. How are you? I'm very good. This does actually make me happy. I'm surprised. It, it's very palpable. Yeah, it's good going into something when you know you're going to talk about good news. Mm. You get a stride in one step. Um, how many bits of good news do you have? Mm, I've got a few up my sleeve, but I reckon two. Yeah, I've got two as well, but both of mine are kind of, they're good news, but tempered good news. So it's like, good news, but... Tim. (laughs) But it's good to have slightly, you know, complicated things to talk about, because then we can chew them over slightly. So do you want to kick off and maybe give us like a beautiful, simplified, pure good news? Yes, this is pure good news. I'm so excited. You can probably guess what it's going to be, because I've already gone like mental about it on social media a few weeks ago. I try to keep myself off as much as I can, <laughs> semi-unsuccessfully. What is it? It's the uh, government announcing the container return scheme. Woo! Hey, this is great because I didn't get my head around the specifics of this. So oh, cool. please run me through. What has happened? What is the journey to get us here? Well, I am so excited because it's been a long time coming. And me and, well, not really me, but just the crew of people that... Um, have been campaigning for this. It's been a long road and, uh, yeah, it's just so exciting to have it over the line. What it is is um, the government has announced that they've, um, they're basically giving money to Marlborough District Council and Auckland Council to um, create a scheme, to sort of design a scheme, and they've got to get that done by uh, next year. So the pace is on, so that's good. And um, they will be designing something so that when we get uh, go and have a drink, um, when that bottle is returned to a depot, we get the we get that ten cents back. And that ten cents, by the way, they haven't set that price yet. It'll be ten minimum, right. I think. Uh, could be twenty, whatever. So per. Um Glass bottle, did you say? No, just, just well, that's part of designing the scheme. Um, so uh, we're working out what those parameters are. Very similar to how with the plastic bags, it's like you think, oh, yeah, easy, ban plastic bags. Yeah. But then you start going, oh, hang on, how thick? What is a plastic bag? Yeah, exactly, bag? <laughs> yeah. So um, that's that's part of what they'll all be working out. But, yeah, it'll be plastic, glass, um And is this a nationwide Yes, it has to be nationwide. Otherwise, you get these bizarre kind of black market trade things going on up and down the country. Amazing. So I've got a weird feeling that we used to have this with cans. But was it a private? Because I'll tell you what I remember. When I was a kid, my older brother used to collect hundreds of cans and bring them when we lived in Christchurch to like a recycling depot or something Mm. and get get a few bucks it could there have been all sorts of schemes little schemes here and there um sometimes it's the produce the producers themselves like swap a crate that want to get their bottles back and that yep. kind of stuff because they've got a value to the yeah material. yeah it makes sense for them um but the other thing is that aluminium does have a decent price to mm. it so it's possibly actually just the the price your brother was getting for the scrap as well back in the day can i ask you a question you probably may not know the answer to this is like an urban legend that the tab on the cans is pure aluminium. Oh, I've heard that. Do you know if that's true or not? I don't know. Maybe I should look oh. that up. How do you know that the can itself isn't like just pure aluminium? Isn't it an alloy to bring prices down, I assume? 
So I've just looked it up and uh, the answer is, unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. <laughs> Soda can tabs have absolutely no special monetary value. They can be sold for the recycling value of the aluminum, uh, the aluminium they contain, just like the soda can or anything else. Well, there you go. Well, look, onwards and upwards with the good news. Yeah. Um, this container return scheme, what is particularly exciting about it is that we have been, we've got a recycling system currently that just hasn't really been working. Um, we've been spending as ratepayers over 20 million a year just to, to try and get our recycling processed and um, we think we're kind of doing a good job but actually like if you're if you're at a picnic or you're out somewhere and you've got uh, bottles from your picnic or whatever um, what do you do with them most people don't take chuck them home and bin. exactly just chuck them in the bin so it, we've had about well, there was a report um, that said that there were equivalent of 700 full Boeing 747s going into the landfill every year of of landfill and litter, actually, so like into the... 700 passenger jets. Yeah, the big the big ones. Oof. Yeah. Wait, is that of tra- of all trash? Or no, no, of- that's that's the recycling that we could have been recycling every oh, year. Oh, what? If, if we Holy had... Holy smoke. If How we had the container... Well, well, some of some of it doesn't even make it to the landfill. Some of it's just well, a lot of it's ending up in the marine environment. So that's probably the reason why I'm most excited about this coming in. But the other thing that's super exciting is that um, it's been really hard for recyclers to actually kind of make ends meet. Like a classic, we're talking. We just said that recycling is 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 recycling legit episode and we talked about how to get glass bottles from Wanaka up to OI here in Auckland just is impossible in terms of it um, making sense in a monetary way Mm. Um, but now they will be able to do that because of the the 10 cents and the processing fee that they get so it actually means that uh, so we've got councils all over New Zealand that have chosen to co-mingle, uh, uh, which is putting your glass and everything all in one bin, like Auckland Council does that, uh, and that is for economic reasons, and it's terrible for the recyclers, it just brings down the overall product, and OI, the glass recyclers, actually can't use a lot of the glass that's come through that process, um, and so we've just had a lot of downcycling, and this uh, container return scheme is going to totally change that. It's going to inject millions into the right places so that people can do the right things, and it's always going to be econ- it's always going to be economically viable to recycle your bottles, and we're all going to have the incentive to do it. That is so cool. Where does the money come from? Is this like does government put the money up? Oh to no, get this done? no, that's what's cool about it. At the moment, the government's putting the money up to to basically have a recycling scheme across New Zealand it's going to shift to consumer and producer so um, when you buy your bottle or whatever um, you will be paying an extra 10 cents at that point which you won't know it will just be backed into the price exactly it's in the price and the um, manufacturers might choose to absorb a little bit of that price mm-hmm. or whatever but it is across the board so um, it probably won't be that notable for people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then when you have finished and you're wanting to return that bottle, you actually just get that money back. Oh, so so it's like a rebate. It's, yes, it's a total zero sum for the consumer. That's that's so cool. Yeah. And the cool, the other cool thing is that there's always a lag. This is actually the genius. This is how the scheme works. There's a lag between 
you um, paying that extra 10 cents and you redeeming it. And so en masse, that's millions of dollars that's uh, in the bank earning interest. And that's that's the main way that the scheme's funded through that interest. Huh. And then then there's the bottles that never get redeemed and you've still paid the 10 cents on them. So yeah, it's, right. it does, it really adds up. That's, that's, that's very cool. And it makes me think as well that just based on my experience of, uh, you know, remembering my brother collecting cans and stuff, it'll get a whole bunch of kids into this because now there's sort of a, you know, a pocket money incentive mm, to get mm, them into mm. recycling and um, waste collection and that yes, sort of thing. Yes, it's so huge. There's all these it's great. cool little yeah. uh, fingers that come off of it, yeah. positive little yeah. unexpected things. Yeah, exactly. It's a real nice positive feedback loop. We should have over 2,000 new jobs. That's quite conservative. We'll easily get lots of new jobs out of it. And really awesome for, like you say, the, well, kids, but also community groups, like such easy fundraisers. Like a lot of people, sure, you might want to get your, I don't know, what would it be, a couple of bucks every week or something from your own meager drinking habit. Yeah. But but a lot of people are just really happy to just give those bottles straight to a charity. Yeah. So they can so do their own I charity s- drives. schools probably become a bit of a magnet for these. Yeah, uh, for and these that's schemes. also part of what's cool about these guys designing the scheme right now too is making sure that a community groups can actually access that stream rather than like if it was only, say, through – you could only return it through a vending machine and that was owned by – um, like maybe the producers that made the bottles in the first place. So that is an option, but yep. it would cut out all of the, the fundraising opportunities for people. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, oh, this is really exciting. So, and this has been a long journey to get here, right? Like yes. you, you and the whanau have been yeah. fighting for a long time yeah, to, yeah. to get to I'm, this point. I'm, I'm the standing on the shoulders of giants person who's just come along in the last oh, five years or so, but um, there've been people campaigning about this for Oh, at least a decade longer, really. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's this one guy, particularly Warren Snow, who has actually dedicated his life to this. He's, oh, would he be definitely in his 60s? I don't know if he's past that. But anyway, he has just been uh, just so passionate about getting this across. Like, so he's been part of... Um, Envision, who he founded Envision, um, which do, among other things, study tours. And so they've actually like, uh, the reason this has happened now is because people have finally seen the magic. And a lot of that has been these study tours over the years that Envision's run, which is getting like key councillors or members of government or whatever to actually go over to South Australia and see with their own eyes what's happening over there and how it's affected the community and the recycling industry. And the and, and so not just the people people processing stuff but actually the people who are like Carter Holt Harvey or whoever who actually are getting or wanting to buy the product in the end because it it means that it's a much better product for everyone. Has that made quite a big impact in South Australia where these these programs have been run for a little while Yeah so so typically like our recycling rate is maybe as low as 45%, maybe as high as about 58%. Um, we don't know because the industry don't actually give us the figures. So mm. everyone's just sort of trying to guess um, what they might be. But those recycling rates, you could really expect those to get up to at least 80%, like at least, just almost overnight. Wow. Yeah. That's Without so cool. the government having to put millions, which they are, which yeah. they have been. like In addition to sort of councils running and funding recycling, there's all these other grants that have been given out um, to a lot of it, to industry actually, to help them try and sort of work this out when actually this, this, the, 
the the solution was there all along. Yeah, yeah. It, it does kind of make you wonder why <laughs> we didn't do it slightly <laughs> oh, earlier. Yeah. But we're here now. Yeah, we're here now. Tremendously yeah. good yeah. news. Yeah, so that's awesome. That's so cool. Mm, mm. Hooray! Hooray! Um, <laughs> and once more with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't sound very. Sorry, it's because it's so early. I'm still getting through my first Suck coffee. Up that coffee. That's that's as excited as I could possibly sound in this moment. Hooray! Hooray! That's a bit better. Right, my one is a bit more. Um, well, it's not quite as uh, <laughs> sorry purely positive, but it is quite. I'll like. Is I'm intrigued. What is it? I'll that explain you've got why I, why I'm so such excited amazing about good news with this the sting in the tail. The background is horrific, but then the, the sort of the upshot is kind of positive. So it's about Chernobyl, oh <laughs> which is the s- single greatest nuclear disaster that has ever happened on the planet ever. Um, happened in 1986, a reactor melted down due to uh, a poor design of the nuclear um, energy facility there. Lots of people died. Um, I think there's only been admitted less than 50 official deaths, according to the Soviet government, because they tried to cover everything up. Yeah, but town. Any, anyone who kind of knows anything about it reckons that there's probably quite easily thousands and thousands of attributable deaths um, mm. to the to the meltdown. And just to give an indication of uh, why that's the case, there was more than 400 times more radiation emitted uh, at Chernobyl in the meltdown than there was released uh, at Hiroshima in the atomic bomb. What? Which was like, Say that again? It's so so a, a weapon by design, the yeah. atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. Yeah. 400 times more radiation was released <gasps> at Chernobyl. Whoa. Yeah. And this, so this only it's happened. It's a good fact, Tim. Yeah, it's but a you've scary got to quickly fact. move on to the <laughs> I know, good news. I know. It's a good news episode. So this happened 33 years ago, and um, there's actually only been two nuclear disasters of like at this level that have ever happened. And um, Chernobyl was the first. Fukushima was the other, which only happened less than mm. 10 years ago. I think it was 2011, oh, quite recently, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Japan. Um, and so as a result. It was incredibly unpredictable what was going to happen and people just simply didn't know Mm. what to expect with this level of radiation. So one of the things um, that happened is the international community, when the news actually did get out, and if you haven't watched the HBO series Chernobyl, I cannot recommend it highly enough. It Mm. is genuinely like... I'll check it out. It is the best TV show I've ever seen. What? Really? Yeah, and I'm not even that into dramas, but it's just so well made. Of all the TV shows? Yeah. It's so good. Okay. It's really good. I'm not the only one to say that. It's like really highly rated. Wow. It's incredible. Okay. Um, Anyway, so they, so after all of the kind of cover up, you know, started to melt away and the reality of the situation started to get known by the international community, the international community really stepped in because it was also um, the, they they had to have some immediate things that happened. They started um, pouring like concrete as fast as they can on top of the reactor to try and stop um, further precipitation of all of this radiation getting out. And then as time went on, they had to kind of keep rebuilding the structures. And they built like a lead, I think it's a lead line sarcophagus for the for the actual like where the meltdown happened itself. And as the Soviet Union um, broke down, which was not that long after Chernobyl itself, the international community had to step in and basically take charge of this huge disaster um, and keep rebuilding the structures that are around it to contain the radiation. 
but one of the um, big important things that happened in the immediate wake of it is they said uh, there's no no humans can be within a 30 kilometer radius of Chernobyl like you'll die <laughs> there's just too mm. much radiation for humans to exist here and it's mm. probably going to be the case for up to 20,000 years so they just said no people so there is a Chernobyl exclusion zone where there's um there's a few people who I think get rotated in and out and obviously have a lot of um, safety precautions who work there, but it's like less than 200, I think, mm-hmm. who just kind of um, keep looking after certain things. But by um, just accident, it's become this de facto wildlife reserve as a result. So um, once again, because this is the first time that this has happened on this scale ever, mm. no one knew what to expect. And actually the predictions at the time were super dire that all life there would just cease to exist and it would become a bit of a desert. And um, quite the opposite has happened. It's actually become this thriving home to wildlife and in particular big mammals. What, really? Yeah, so there's... And um, are these big mammals with five legs and three eyes? Or Interesting you should say that. So there's a bunch of um, different scientists and scientific groups who have started throwing in, especially recently, to try and track what's going on there with the animal populations. And according to scientist Michael Byrne, who's the lead author on um, one of these, I think he's part of an international um, group of scientists. He's the lead. He said, no wolves there were glowing. All have four legs, two eyes and one tail. <laughs> That's a quote from him. So, And they've observed like incredible things. So they've um, started putting uh, motion sensitive cameras in there so they can start to track what kind of species are there. They've seen huge populations of wolves, raccoon dogs, uh, red foxes, boars, badgers, bison, brown bears, lynxes. And they, I think they introduced this weird species of horse there that kind of look like miniature horses and they're thriving as well because they (laughs) roam around in packs. So um, there's more than 200 species of birds there. It's not like all good news, obviously, because there is, you know, such an incredible amount of radiation that people can't be there for thousands of years. So um, there's definitely been some. Are we Ill- more sensitive to it? Or well, is that, it- that has been one floated possibility by the scientists while they're trying to figure out how this is happening. Um, but the more consensus opinion, and this is totally what I would agree with. Yeah. As scientists are now just saying, it's simply the lack of human intervention there. That's yeah. all it is. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as you were saying all of this. I was going, "Oh man, you know, it turns out that just humans and what we do is actually worse for the environment than a major nuclear n- meltdown." That's exactly. Like if we just got out of the picture, that's exactly but we all know what that, scientists don't we? are saying. Yeah. But so that's why I say it's like it's good news, bad news, good news. Yeah, sort of thing. it is. It and is. It's not. It's not like universally good news. It's not like yeah. the animals are unaffected because particularly smaller invertebrates like insects oh. um, have their numbers have gone right down, and they observed that around Fukushima as well. All the bug life um, seems to be super affected, and that and that all goes right right down, which is bad because obviously that's got a lot of flow on effects for the rest of the ecology. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Actually, it'd be interesting longer term because you would think that the insects. Would be quite a foundational part of the, the exactly thing, yeah but, but they're adapting as well oh, there's species in there wow. so for example they've observed that um frogs in the exclusion zone have noticeably darker skin than frogs outside the exclusion zone and they reckon that might be an adaptive trait um that they absorb less radiation as a oh, result yeah wow the other sort of slightly complicated thing about your good news tim is that <laughs> You know, I don't think any of our listeners would be thinking it, but what if, 
you could take from this that oh well nuclear fallout's not as bad as we thought we could all just so that's it an option <laughs> show me that big red button so okay let me speak to that first of all i have obviously glossed over all of the incredible human suffering that happened for this like that precipitated this event but the reason why this i think can be filed under good news is is, is the way that i'm looking at it is it shows the resilience of nature and mm. that this is providing a bit of a blueprint for humans and it relates to actually the last good news episode that I was talking I about. I was thinking acid that rain. with acid rain, yeah. So they've, the scientists found that they were dumping acid into a lake to try and make it more acidic so they could conduct an experiment to observe how acid rain gets formed and they were putting so much acid in and they couldn't figure out why the, mm. the body of water wasn't becoming more acidic at large and it was because they, they didn't know that this bacteria was counteracting the acid they were putting in by basically eating it and neutralizing it so similar to that it's like we've got a bit of a blueprint here of if we can just create some big zones like nature wildlife reserves and just get the hell out of nature's way Mm. um nature can come back and bounce back way stronger than we ever predicted was possible and there's even arguments for like we say just get right out of there because even putting paths in they become corridors for weeds and all sorts of things so our impact is always a little bit more complicated than we think yeah but i I, on 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 reflection tim i reckon i'll give you a 10 out of 10 for that oh it's 10 out of 10 and i'll tell you why because we're we're only going to get out of this mess if we've got hope because actually it's we can get out of it but it's reliant on all of us deciding that we're going to make these small changes Mm. and that is one of the biggest things to give us hope is that because we can all see how fucked up it is Mm. in terms of um some of these statistics and when you see those statistics those are the things that you you can freak out about and and you end up in that sort of negative loop of going oh well it's too late it's too catastrophic but to see these things that kind of look like anomalies and go wow you know nature is so resilient, so resilient. and it's, it's just yeah. a knife edge that's all it is isn't yeah. it we don't want to end up feeling like oh we we can do whatever we like because nature's so resilient when clearly we are we do well, have the upper it's, hand but, it's resilient yeah. when we're not there yeah. that's the that's the big yeah, takeaway true, that i'm getting true. from the chernobyl yeah. thing and the reason why like i mean the, this obviously was such a cataclysmic disaster for so so many people who were there and so many people living under the soviet government so it was just like a newer lady bad. actually who came out of chernobyl really yeah an elderly russian lady does she live here in new zealand yeah she came to new zealand in the 80s with her husband her her daughter-in-law died um she was a teacher at the time and so she did that classic rescue all the children running around trying to save them and so she said huge amounts of um radiation at the time yeah. and she died of cancer a few years later and then her husband died in New Zealand but also of cancer and yeah. quite possibly related yeah. wow yeah and that's the thing I think that that's happened to tens of thousands mm. of people but mm. they just haven't tracked that because the, the government hasn't you know wanted mm. to keep that, that statistic but um, the thing with Chernobyl is that for humans to get out of a zone where we like could be like an attractive living space, it takes something like this to happen. But yeah. but by virtue of it happening and us being able to observe the effects, we wouldn't really have had this opportunity to observe like a huge area like this come back to life 
after these crazy effects of Chernobyl hadn't happened. So it's not like it was worth it or anything, but there's, you know, in the face of these awful events, which we humans create, there can be a, some scientific um, Mm. breakthroughs Mm. that can be discovered off the back of it, but B, sometimes some really positive news, like going and looking and going, Hey, these animals are actually thriving Mm. in this environment now. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I mentioned this, but there's, they reckon there's um, seven times the amount of grey wolves in the exclusion zone than in the surrounding areas. And they they are pointing to simply the fact that there's no humans there is the reason why. That's cool. It is cool. Because wolves are cool. Wolves are so cool, man. Wolves and bears. Does it get cooler than them? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you, Tom. It's, um, it's a hard one to refute. This episode is brought to you by Atik. Atik is a New Zealand natural beauty company that stopped over 3.3 million plastic wow. bottles going to landfill. That is a lot, eh? It's like, that's a lot. Their gorgeous hair, face and body wash products are mindfully packaged in biodegradable and compostable materials because Atik are dedicated to building a better world. Atik's products are all certified animal cruelty free, made of only plant-based and vegan ingredients and they're kind to your wallet because they last two to five times longer than bottled beauty products. Get yourself or someone you care about some Atik today by going to atikworld.com. And that's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. It's French, I think. Well, my next good news thing, uh, I asked a few people. I was um, thinking it'd be good to put the word out there and... um, it was so interesting what I got back. Um, all mates of mine who are all into environmental stuff, mostly who have dedicated their lives to um, whether it's community groups or whatever they're doing, um, social enterprises, huge range of things. And I was trying to get people to be really specific and just what was coming back was this overwhelming sense of excitement that things are changing really fast um, and meaning that um, – all the stuff that everyone was going, oh, so what do you do? Oh, that's a bit weird. Oh, what a, you know, good for you. That's nice. Pat you on the head. And now people are getting it and it's just happening so fast. Um, so there's this sense of excitement that actually I realise, and that's what's so important about, about us doing these good news episodes, is that when you're new into, when you've just heard all of the bad news, and so that has been your motivation to go, right, I want to do something, but you're not actually in the world, you're not immersed in a world of people that are living and breathing this stuff. Um, I think that's actually when you're going to be most likely at your most negative, because you haven't, you've only seen the the downside, and you haven't realised the extent to which these are, like, thousands of incredible initiatives just perhaps right even in your local area totally. because you haven't had the opportunity to connect with them mm. um so yeah it's it's really cool seeing people that are working in the field just saying like i used to run workshops and five people would turn up now they're sold out and people are just getting so excited about all these various things like like i mean there's there's so much happening with um green spaces or local food um there was a woman tara moala who um runs projects out of pub zero in monaco and um she said that she had um five people turn up to workshops a couple of years ago and now yeah they're sellouts and it's all to do with people wanting to work out how they can make the most of waste in their um run a social enterprise out of stuff in the waste stream so weirdly i had uh, this exact conversation yesterday with a friend of mine who works for the environment or used to work for the environment defense 
Fund? Is oh, that what it's called? EDU? Oh, you're the one who knows, actually. I haven't heard of the Environment Defence Fund. They're, yeah, I, I, I but yeah, you've got wouldn't want to talk too there. much yeah. about them without doing the research and stuff, but they're like they're this awesome sort of lobby group, I guess, um, that lobbies the government on behalf of, well, the environment, mm. <laughs> really. But she was saying that she organises these um, huge conferences, these annual conferences that all of these incredible people... Um, scientists, activists, um, social entrepreneurs who are in the green mm. space and politicians go to. Um, she she actually got me a ticket a couple of years ago that I got to go to and it was where Jacinda was running. Mm. Um, so she had just announced that she was going to be the leader of Labour and it was in the lead up to the election. But anyway, so my friend was um, who's, who's one of the organisers of this annual meeting, she said that the sea change she has seen uh, in the five years she's been involved with that is is unreal mm. it is Completely it's unreal, unreal. like, the, like cha- the rate of human, change human society shouldn't change that fast like yeah. it's unprecedented like we have culture that and society that are, are like um it's it's not a fluid thing we we're these pack animals and we all looking at each other and yeah. not going to do a thing unless somebody else does a thing and, and then a few weirdos yeah a jump few weirdos out and jump out a couple and, follow them and then we'll go oh okay we're going this way now cool. yeah but like the the rate at which like there's just this huge inertia around um the values that we were brought up with and our traditions and um the, the actually the infrastructure that we've got that's a really massive one like we're all wanting to shop in different ways but we've got this old existing infrastructure and yet they're there it's just happening so yeah. fast it's what she said as well which was so heartening is because she deals with a lot of business leaders and like people in very big companies and she said you know in new zealand dealing with all the people that she deals with because we were talking about climate deniers and she said there's actually like there's no one that i've dealt with who i think doesn't want to do the right thing it's yeah. just the balance yeah. of like figuring out how to get that into their business. But everyone is genuinely really keen. Yeah. And it seems, I don't know, it's almost like you can kind of put your media conspiracy hat on a little bit. But I think the people who aren't on board with this, I suspect might be getting quite an undue amount of airtime. Because I think both in terms of their number and their sway over things, in the huge minority the yeah, people are. who aren't on board with this thing that's right but then I don't think they are getting much airtime now are they I hope I hope not you see them pop up here and there here and there um, or it's just kind of yeah it's yeah it's just that thing of making it a bit wishy-washy that like it's you know the science isn't settled or that kind of thing it's Oh, yeah. Anyway, good news. Good news. Really Let's good not news. dwell on that. Um, no. The other thing that's related to this was I mentioned about the, the I guess you call it shopping infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Like, and I was thinking back to, again, just the rate of change. And when we did our zero waste year in 2008, looking back on what we had available to us back then and what we've got avail- available to us now, um, it's just phenomenal. Uh, uh, things are just popping up everywhere whether it's like um, these refilleries or organic stores or farmers markets apps there's just so much let me ask you a question on behalf of the listener actually wave because if there's someone who's been maybe listening to a few episodes of our podcast and getting more interested in this sort of thing and maybe they've changed a couple behaviors but they're actually wanting to get involved with a like a local group of some sort how do you reckon people should kick off with that what sort of when you say a local group of some sort well, there's you, just so you, many different initiatives that you could get involved with in different ways. I kind of want to have a big umbrella for this. Oh, so just, it could be yeah. 
Yeah, you go. Well, no, I just seeking clarification. Like, you do mean you meaning around it shopping? Could be or- a, it could be around uh, composting or community gardens. It could be around. Okay, so like literally anything. Just how do I yeah. find out find out what's going on? Yeah, and like-, like how do you find the people in your area who are doing the stuff? Well, see, for Is me, it, as simple it was. As Googling around, I think or? it might be actually, but that's a theory I haven't tested um, because. For me, um, the way I connected with people was a bit weird. It was, through, it was through not dodgy. But, um, it I was at this swingers party. Yeah, yeah. Some so of the mentions this night <laughs> um, when uh, because we did this public thing and we put ourselves out there and said, "Oh, we've got no idea what we're doing." Um, and for those people, who haven't heard the first episode, that was Waveney's journey into zero waste yeah, ten years ago. Idiot. Yeah. So um, we then we had these people actually come to us because we'd put ourselves out there and they could find us and. They, they connected with us, which was an incredible thing to feel these people coming around to support us. Um, so for us, it was all through relationships. But I, I've got a theory about... Well, that's my method. Be a big, yeah. loud, public idiot about it. Put Just a sign like, up in your I want to do good, but yeah. I don't know how. Well, that would work. I would so <laughs> knock on someone's door if they had a sign in their, back, in their yard. But um, actually, this is what I reckon. I reckon that if you've thought of it, then that's the... That's actually you've you already have won if you've thought of it because every time I think of some crazy idea and then go oh someone should invent that and I Google it they already have <laughs> but it's like I'm never going to come across it unless I actually think of it like it would be a great example I've been typing too much and just going oh damn it you know here I am sitting here everything sort of sucks physically while my mind's so engaged with the stuff i was like wouldn't it be amazing if there are all of these different textures or or on your keyboard so like every time you touch one of the buttons you you're experiencing a totally different texture huh. like sandpaper or fur or <laughs> yeah, whatever right, right. so um and then i googled it and sure enough it's a thing. someone's done it and what was the other one? There was another really weird one I thought of. And it's like, again, it's been done. And you're like, oh, you just have to think of it. Keep cracking on, Wave. I believe in you. So, one of these inventions is going to make you rich. Yeah, one day. But <laughs> So that's my point. You're asking how do you connect. But I think if you were to be just putting in your um, your neighborhood into a Google search and yeah. then some keywords yeah. and see what happens. Um, and maybe if you're in a smaller place as well, I think there's a perpetual... Uh, what is? It's not like a fear, but it's like an arresting human characteristic that if you're not doing something perfectly, you just won't bother. That kind of arresting perfectionism. But if you're in a smaller town and there isn't a bunch of stuff, maybe just have an ask around and see if anyone else is interested and start a small little project Okay, I'll give, you, I'll give you some sort of heads up on some basic yeah, yeah, things. Yeah, so yeah. there is transition towns. You could Google that and see if there's one in your neighborhood. What's the elevator pitch for a transition town? Transitioning away from a town that's dependent on fossil fuels and we're working out now how we can make a nice easy transition into a future where we're going to be less reliant on them. So people who are thinking about your local food infrastructure or movement, ways to move around your neighbourhood, things like that. So it's a group of people that are already thinking about this stuff. Another one is um, just actually Googling environment centres. Uh-huh. Most areas would have 
um, even if it's not near you, there would be an environment centre that would cover your region. Um, they would just, but that would be your one-stop shop for finding out about what's available in your area. There's like a hub for all of these sorts of programs and yeah. So um, environment centre could be they typically would run courses or they might like there's one um, in Kaipataki in Auckland that has um, started out planting trees and was a restoration group and has grown into so much more than that. Um, and they will know they're just well networked, very well networked. They might often have a few council contracts to deliver some education programs or whatever. Um, and lots of different community groups could be using them as a hub as well. Gotcha. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, well, I've got one more thing. Great. Should I get into it? Yeah. It's actually like on a similar track of the uh, acid rain one I did last time. You're I don't know if it. that's cheating or not, but it was on the smog in Los Angeles Ooh. because there's a lot of old movies that I remember seeing where LA was just absolutely blanketed in smog. Like, Christchurch was real similar too. Yeah, that's had a real turnaround really with the bad. smog. Yeah, I remember biking I along and I'd have my hands up in the air because I could I could just touch the top of it when I was biking. The smog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it might be well. So there's a lot of contributing factors, but similar reason in that. Christchurch is so flat and it's got hills on one mm. side and mm. water on another. Mm. So it becomes a, what do they, it's like a pollution trap. Mm. Um, so LA has gone through um, a very dramatic history of smog. It first rolled in in the 1940s and it was so severe and so thick and blanketed the city so densely and caused so many issues that they thought it was a chemical attack by the Japanese because <laughs> it happened during World War Two. So... There are these historic photos of Angelinos, I believe they're called, uh, wearing gas masks, rocking huh. around. And there's like people in soft top cars wearing full on like World War II chemical masks. And there's even one of a, um, a donkey that they, they had to fix goggles to at the zoo because its eyes were getting so irritated. So <laughs> people were getting hospitalized. Car crashes were happening because of the low visibility. Like it was an absolute nightmare. And no one actually knew what was happening because it happened so quickly. So, long, a word of warning. long story short, it was cars, but it took them ages to figure it out because they looked at the back of car exhausts and they went, that's not brown. <laughs> it's clear, <laughs> the thing that's coming out. That's it. honestly... We've come a long way. Yeah, that's good I know. news in itself. Uh, so they just they looked at it and they, they couldn't put it together. And the missing ingredient was the fact that sunlight breaks down the stuff that's coming out of the um, the makeup that's coming out of car exhausts and turns that into ozone, which is just another word for smog. So it took them a surprisingly long amount of... Yeah, I know. I see you looking weird about that. That's, I read that in several articles, that ozone and smog are the same thing. I don't know. So you want your O3 my, up in the... And put my sources at the... In the in the um, I hope show you're right links. about that. We'll call smog smog. I'll remove that. With. We'll call smog smog. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so, it, yeah, as I say, it took a surprisingly long amount of time for them to figure it out. And it was basically um, down to this one Dutch chemical scientist 
who was a real big racing car enthusiast. And <laughs> he, for him. Yeah, I think <gasps> it was, or her. It was, it was, it was a guy. Um, he was at Caltech. He was a professor. And in 1952, his name's Ari Hagen Schmidt. He distilled the air into acids, figured out it was cars, and he was like, oh man, everyone's going to fucking hate me. And they did. <laughs> he came out with his findings and he got ridiculed and vilified and his career was briefly destroyed before sort of coming back later when they were like, oh, okay, turns out he was right. I've got a mild version of that today because I'm a natural people pleaser and it's such a bummer having this message all the time. <laughs> oh, wave. You, what, did something happen today on your way here or you just mean you were no, I mean, feeling that? No, bit? no, I mean generally in life. Like I feel like my calling is to communicate that yeah. we're all up shit creek people and we need to do something about it. But actually it's kind of against my nature. Well, we've all got our cross to bear and the combination of those two things probably makes you the perfectly placed person to communicate this message. Hope so. So... So think about it that way. They eventually, um, California formed an air resources board in 1967. So it took that long for them to kind of tune through the legislative stuff. 1967. Yeah. So this guy oh. discovered what was going on in 1952. They, well, the air resources board is just one event that happened. They, But the reason why this is good news is because Los Angeles had a problem, huge problem, figured out they were causing it. And although they haven't solved it completely, it is a completely different situation there now. Like, I've been to LA. Dude, LA's pretty famous for its small. In fact, yeah. I've been there and seen it. And- I've been there six or seven times. And I, um, like, I've, I've, the worst I've seen the smog is when I've been in the valley. But it's nowhere near what it used to be. Three quarters of the time. So, like. Um, That's amazing because the city has grown. Yeah, absolutely. Enormously. And, and the, the economy the has grown. And the cars on the well. road. And, yeah. yeah. And um, so they did a bunch of stuff. The main thing was, and we actually mentioned this last episode, the advent of the catalytic converter was a huge Uh, turning point. That um, was created in its current form. Earlier versions were around, but it was created in its current form in 1973, and then it became mandated in California in 1975. So all the new cars had to have them. And then California has been uh, progressively wheeling out like more and more legislation to try and tackle this problem over time. So it's not just cars, but they've introduced um, some of the most robust emission standards in America for their heavy industry as Mm. well, for their production. Um, When the smog first started happening, they thought it was, they just assumed it was sulfur because everywhere else it was caused by sulfur, which is... um, More out of the industry Exactly. There's a big problem with coal fire power plants, but they didn't have a lot in... California or in LA specifically so they were like that's weird that it's happening here but it does have it's a natural basin so things just sit yeah, there like Christchurch like Christchurch exactly yeah. um, and you know if you flash forward to more recent times they introduced um, a rebate where you can get up to $7,000 to get EV cars and they were like the first state in the nation to really push for EV cars and now if you and I can say this firsthand as someone who's been to LA a bunch of times it, I sorry, I should have looked this number up, but I didn't. But it seems to me, just looking around, it, it's like at least one in four cars you see on the highway are electric vehicles. Nice, because there's all these government incentives to make them cheaper um, to run, and the infrastructure really supports it there. So you can you can plug in and drive away. And I mean, just the amount of cars in LA is insane. So it's so heartening to me that they. It's like you were saying, there was such, um, you would expect such inertia because it's such a big system. Like LA is basically just a network of highways and they must have had to fought so uh, hard to get these changes done. But they did because they had to. 
and they did it through just like progressive laws and yeah. the local governments coming in and raising the emission standards again. So your good news is a bit of a combo of governments actually just it's people actually doing a bit of it. yep doing a bit of good legislation yeah and then actually it was a technology um advance as well which i always love i know and i'm not such a well oh. i think it's got its i mean obviously it's got its place um some massive wins can happen in that space but it, we just have to get our values yeah we've got, a couple we've got to get those fine foundational sort of things sorted for sure yeah rather than just relying on those quick fixes but no, obviously that's fantastic yeah although i'm just adding this because it's funny but it does undercut my point um, <laughs> true comedian <laughs> la still has the most unhealthy year in america Uh, It's won that award 19 of the last 20 years. But I think a lot of it is based on its um, basic, like, geographic features. Because it's got these weird things called temperature inversion traps or something. We've got one of those. Where's we? Oh, oh, no, no, my my farm. Right. So it stops the air circulating yeah, as so it we're normally in, we're would. Yeah, we're in a valley and, um, yeah, I, there's a, I was speaking to the original owner and I said to her, oh, there's a really nice place up by the water tank where I noticed in winter I just walk up there and it's just always dry and feels warm and it's such a nice little place. And she said, oh, yes, that's the, what did you just say? Inversion. Blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, and so she explained it all to me. It's a thing where, so, I don't know, something to do with, yeah, hot air rising, getting trapped, and then it, it yeah. can't get up. I, That's I right. The, no, yeah. what you're saying is right. Yeah, yeah. so but basically it, it just sits there. Yeah, it's, hot it, air just it gets sits to there. sit, yeah. And it kind of creates a very still environment, which is, yeah, I think as well what happens in Christchurch because it's so flat and there's not a lot of wind to blow it away. So it just, all those chimneys in winter when it gets real cold just sits there. But Christchurch is probably a success story of sorts as well because they yeah. outlawed the chimneys. I've like I had asthma as a kid, and my mum and you're a Christchurch boy, eh? yeah. Well, yeah, my mum totally attributes that to just the amount of smog that was in Christchurch when I was growing up. Well, I moved to Christchurch in '97, and at the time there was a lot of um, smog in winter. Really, like oh, really yeah. would notice it. Really, like yeah, I said, like absolutely. it was just it must have been about two meters off the ground because yeah, you could sort of almost put your hand in it totally and just sit there. Yep, and uh, now the that's just totally dealt with Mm. yeah well um so there you go progress everyone so fantastic news i actually i with the story we led with we should have finished with because it was by far the best one i reckon i know you know i was thinking about that like (laughs) a good journalist would have saved the best till last i got so excited so just to recap on that scheme um do you know when it's going to kick off no okay it's been announced though that's what we know it is happening it's happening in new zealand well, the big announcement was that the government has commissioned the design of the scheme. Oh, so that means they're not even necessarily committed to... Oh, yeah, no, they are. They but are. this is they're, still they're a big already, one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, do you reckon... Oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they, they are. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Take it from Waverly, everyone. It's happening. No, no, it, it's true. I, I read the, um, the press release from the ministry and, yeah, it's all, it's all go. Awesome. So we just don't need to worry about that excellent taken care of the fight has been fought if you've got any good news stories as well um flick them through to us they could be from history they could be from your local area where you live like a cool little local story um where you've done something awesome uh we're on facebook.com slash how to save the world just all in a row like that and otherwise we will catch you on the next episode thank you very much for listening to the pod give us a review if you can check us five stars it's very helpful to get other people to see us Um, And until then, keep changing the world, everyone. Yay! 
Thanks again to our wonderful sponsor, Atik. Atik are a zero-waste beauty company dedicated to ridding the world of plastic waste. Woo. Get yourself or someone you love some Atik products from atikworld.com.